If you want to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2. Um, really, this is biblical preaching within the Christ, first Christian sermon that Peter preached at Pentecost. And uh, last week we saw the coming of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit empowered the early church uh, around the Roman Empire and accomplished great things and saw many churches planted. But today we're going to see the first sermon preached by Peter at Pentecost. And as we look at this next text of Scripture, uh, we're going to see several key things in this sermon that we can learn from. So if you would, I want you to just kind of follow along as I read from Acts chapter 2 beginning with verse 14. And then... uh, We'll probably not get through all of it today, but we'll hit probably verses 22 and following next week. But I want to begin to read verse 14. It says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dreams. And on my and my men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make full joy in your presence." Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried. His tomb is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit in his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out His this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he, he, says, he says himself, The Lord sit to my Lord, sit in my right hand, till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified both Lord and Christ, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. (coughs) 
as we look at this and realize that we're not going to get through all of this today, but I want to begin by looking at some significant phrases in this passage of Scripture. And the first one is so obvious, and, and over the years, I, I think as we look at different pastors, different preachers, different theologians, and I'm not great at any of those things, but the reality is there are people that kind of get so far into the Greek, into the Hebrew, that they kind of just talk over people. And everyone walks out when they're done saying, what did he really say? And you have to look back and say, I'm not really sure, but he spoke for 40 minutes. <laughs> I'm not one of those guys. I'm one of those guys that kind of makes it practical as possible because I believe that you just let the Word speak for itself. Don't read into it. Don't apply application that's not there. Um, just let it speak for itself. And I believe that the Holy Spirit will teach us because that's what He's promised to do, right? He said if you just let the Holy Spirit work through it and teach us, He's going to bring all things to remembrance. He's going to teach you. But I want to do that this morning. But I want to just highlight a couple things that are taking place here. So, first of all, we see right away in verse 14, he says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven. You know, so here's Peter, they're all standing, and then all of a sudden, I, I get the picture that they're all sitting around, and all of a sudden, you know, the eleven guys are standing up, and I, and I don't want to read into this, I don't want to make more of it than, than what's there. But all of a sudden, Peter stands up. And we know who Peter is. He's the rambunctious one. He's the open mouth, insert foot guy. He's the guy that just is, you know, spontaneous and he just stands up. But look at what he does. And this is what I find interesting. Uh, the Bible tells that they were standing, that Peter stood up, and I'll assume that, I'll, I'll just assume that he had something very significant to say. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done what follows. So notice what Peter said. First of all, three things here. He raised his voice. I, I know that wouldn't be totally uncommon for a pastor or a preacher to raise his voice. I know I've never done that. Um, yeah, but he's excited about what he's about to say. He's, he's got something that's worth listening to. So he raised his voice and then he said, let this be known to you. What he's saying is, is that these are not my words. They're not necessarily what I have to say. He goes, I want you to pay attention. And he said, the third thing, heed my words. So when you look at all these things, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Heed my words. Uh, I, basically, in other words, he's saying, let me have your attention here. Pay close attention to what I'm saying. And Peter was talking to everyone present, men of Judea and all who are present. He said, I want every one of you that are in listening voice of what, or ears of what I'm about to say to pay attention to what I'm about to say. And I think sometimes as we come to church every Sunday, I think some of us do it out of duty because that's just what we do every Sunday. It's what we do on Sundays. We get up, we get cleaned up, we put our clothes on, we grab our Bibles, we get in our car, we go to church, we do our thing. But I wonder how often we come to church, and I'm just myself included at times, how often do we come to church and say, well, i got to get through this day. i just got to get through this day. Everyone's going everyone's to expect to see me. Everybody's you know, going to have an opinion about you know, whether I'm there or not, or at least I think they might. Even if they don't, I'm thinking it. I've got to show up. Uh, and then I, I want to see my friends because they're there. But how often, let's just be honest, this answer between you and God, how often do we come to church saying, God, teach me something today that I can take with me this week? If we didn't get anything out of last week's sermon, and I'm telling you, I butcher passages. I pray to God I don't try to. I want to be as true to it as I can. 
But there are days I walk away and I say, man, I did not do it justice. But even in those days, I know that the Holy Spirit can take what is said because it's His Word and, and, and change our lives with it. And we look at it like last week, and I think there's this mighty rushing wind, and the Holy Spirit comes in. And I don't fully get it, as I said last week, these flaming tongues of fire. I, I mean, I wanna, I, I'd love to see it. I, I don't want to read what this guy over here in you know, such and such seminary says about it, because it's just his opinion. Right? I mean, everybody's got an opinion. Everyone's got an opinion. But the bottom line is, I'd, lo- I'd, lo- I'd rather see it and experience it than to read what this guy thinks it is. And I don't know how to make that happen because I don't think I can make it. I can't orchestrate that. So there's times I just have to let the Holy, God, Holy Bible speak as it says. And, and, and to the best of my ability, say, God, speak to me through this. But here's what I could walk away saying after last week. The Holy Spirit came. And He spoke. And He worked through them. And the bottom line is, He's saying, listen, all this that has happened, pay attention to what we're saying here. This is important. You need to apply this to your life. You need to make sure that this is happening. So the bottom line is, Peter says, you know, by the way, they're not drunk. You might, you might think, well, <laughs> look at the previous couple of verses. Well, let me just say it this way. I like what Johnny Hunt said regarding the responses to the Holy Spirit that came with that mighty rushing wind. Three responses, and I think he's absolutely right. Number one, he said, some criticized. How do we know that? In Acts 2.13, it says, others mocking said they're full of new wine. He said, there are those that were just going to criticize. And guess what? There are those who are always going to criticize the Word of God, what God is doing in the life of other people. But as I've said many times, Galatians 1.10, I'm not here to please you. I, I know that may sound really rude and terrible and arrogant, but I'm not here to please you. That's why every one of us as believers have to understand. Galatians 1.10 says, if I should please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But there are going to be those that criticize, and I say, let them criticize. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, 13, it says they marveled that they were uneducated men. That's what the Holy Spirit can do, because if you're letting the Holy Spirit speak through you, it's not your words, it's God's words speaking through you. It's not your actions, it's God's actions, as long as you are being submissive to the Holy Spirit that is working in and through you. And by the way, that's why He came, to do in and through you what you cannot do in and through yourself. Right? So that's what we had to walk away with, saying this Holy Spirit is here, and it's here for us so that we can be obedient and faithful to let God work in and through us. It's not about what we can do. There's not a one of us in this auditorium this morning that can do anything that is worthwhile apart from God. So some criticized. Number two, some scrutinized. In Acts chapter 12 says, whatever could this mean? I mean, they were unwilling to like look at obvious. I mean, can you imagine being there when the mighty rushing wind came in and these flames of fire and these tongues of fire came out? Well, what does this mean? I don't know. I'll catch you all later. You can see you next week. You know, no, I mean, it had to have taken them by surprise. It had to have captivated their attention. But I think one obvious thing that they could re- come to, you know, conclusion that they could come to is that there is all these people from almost, what do we say, 20 different languages that were hearing the marvelous works of God in their own tongues. Well, what could this mean? I don't know, but God is speaking somehow in some way through all these people. And yet they scrutinized because they didn't know what it meant. And then number three, some personalized. Say, how do I know that? Because in Acts 2.37 it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we 
so what shall we say or do? The bottom line is there were those that did make it personal. And I think that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to look at it and say, how does this apply to me? They're out there and they're saying, this is God coming in through the Holy Spirit and He's teaching us the marvelous works of God. And they're walking away saying, what? No, some of them personalized it. I actually, I, I had this happen for like one of the very first times in years and years and years, like three weeks ago. Three or four weeks ago, I got it preached, and someone came up to me afterwards and said this. Wow, I wish so-and-so would have been here. And I thought to myself, seriously? Quit thinking that the message was for someone else. What is God saying to you through the message? I couldn't believe it. It's like, yeah, so-and-so really needed to hear that. I don't know about you, but I need to hear everything I can hear. I just know me. I... I Put the preacher, Pastor Ken, aside for a minute. Anyone else ever fail? Sin? I don't, I don't want to admit it, but I, talk to my family. I can't tell you how many times in my life I said, God, I'm sorry. I don't, I, I don't know why I did that. I, I just need to learn to shut my mouth. I need to like think before I speak. God, just help me to shut my mouth and just do what's right and to think right and to act right. And, you know, and I said, God, please forgive me. And then 15 minutes later, I do it again. Anyone else? Doggone it all. It's frustrating, isn't it? I don't need the message to be for someone else. I need it to be for me. And if you can't walk away and say that we're cut to the heart because of what God's Word says, not because of what Ken said, not because of what the missionary said, not because of what someone else said, but because God said it to me, something's wrong with my own heart. So some criticized, some scrutinized, some personalized. But then Peter begins to share the words. And you see this here. And let me just say this. Look at down to verse, uh, verse uh, 14 again. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Israel and all who dwell in Jerusalem, the message that he was saying was for everyone. No exceptions. You say, well, it was just for the men and their families? No. It wasn't just for the men who might have been leaders? No. He says, and all who were in Jerusalem. And I think if we were just going to draw the application across the board, it's like everyone needed to hear what he's about to say. And part of what he had to say was going to be past what we're going to get into today. But the reality is, look down at verse 17. He's beginning to quote from Joel chapter 2. And he says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God. And you know, Jesus' salvation was now completed. And it shall come to pass in the last days. It was really an Old Testament expression denoting the time when the Messiah would come to set up His earthly kingdom. And I think people view this one of two ways. First, the Messiah would come as the suffering servant and would die for the sins of the world. And we saw that in Isaiah chapter 53. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn back to Isaiah 53 just for a moment. Isaiah, then Jeremiah. But in Isaiah chapter 53, it tells the whole story of how this suffering servant would come. And in 53 says, Who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, as he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. 
And we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And we could go on throughout the end of it. And the bottom line is we come to find out is that he was the suffering servant that came, gave his life as a ransom, as a propitiation for our sins. And so we find out that the Messiah would come as a suffering servant, would die for the sins of the world. But secondly, the Messiah would come in glory to set up his kingdom. And the first coming of Jesus would usher in the last days as we read about here in Acts chapter 2. In fact, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Children, these are the last days. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20, it says, Christ has appeared in these last times for your sake. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, He has in these last days spoken to us by His Son. Now here's what's find amazing. That these last days have been around for some 2,000 years now. Um, I remember my dad, when I was in probably 7th or 8th grade, pulling me aside as he was sitting in his lazy boy chair right there in the middle of my living room, and he looks right at me and he says, man, I have to believe that, the, the, that Jesus is going to come in the next year or two. How many had parents that said that? I don't know when he's going to come. I mean, I, I look over the last couple of years, I remember being in Bible college when Clinton got his second term. Everybody was screaming and crying. Oh, the Antichrist is here. We're, gonna, we're all going to, you know, we're, we're going to start a period of doom and gloom. I think most of us would wish for those days back compared to what we got. I mean, that's, that's, not, that's saying something. But the reality is, we have this idea that it can't get worse. It's not going to get any worse, and yet here it is, getting worse and worse and worse. And many of us have said, well, the, the coming return of the Lord has got to be imminent. It's got to be soon, because it can't get any worse than it is. And guess what? It just gets worse and worse and worse. I don't know when Christ is going to come. But here's what I do know. I want to be ready when He does. And the only way that we can do anything of any value before He comes is to allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, to accomplish in and through us what we could not do apart from Him. But these last days, they've spanned some nearly 2,000 years now. And I don't know how much longer they're going to span, but I know this, He's going to come. And we need the Holy Spirit to work within us until He does. So, in the last days, He has poured out His Spirit as Joel 2.28-32 says, and it's that fulfillment of what he's talking about. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, beginning verse 17, it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And over and over, we believe that God has done that. He's pouring out His Spirit. And He says, Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your dream, old men shall see dreams. And the men servants and my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I don't know fully what all that means, but I know that the Holy Spirit is at work and He's doing what He said He would do. In fact, turn your Bibles to John chapter 15 just for a moment. John chapter 15. Just back a couple of books here to the left. John chapter 15. I'm almost there myself. John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. He says this, But when the Helper comes whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of Me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with Me and, been, and, and with Me from the beginning. He has left His Holy Spirit. He has poured out His Spirit. He has given us His Spirit to accomplish in and through us what we could not do ourselves. He left us the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wonder how we're going to do it. We don't have to wonder where we're going to do it. The Holy Spirit will guide and direct as long as we're being filled with Him daily. 
If you go over a chapter to chapter 16, verse 8, uh, he says this, um, And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe Me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see Me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He says very clearly, this is what the Holy Spirit that I have left in your, for you is going to do. So He has poured out His Spirit. He is doing exactly what He said He would do in the book of Acts. He is, doing, he is fulfilling what He said about, talked about in, in Joel chapter 2. And then in John 16 and verse 14, He says, He will glorify Me, for He will make, take what, uh, of what is Mine and declare it to you. So He's going to do it and bring Himself glory through it. The bottom line is He is fulfilling His own Word. And we cannot do anything apart from the Holy Spirit and our dependency upon Him. So, if you look back in verses 19 and 20 of our text, of uh, Acts chapter 2, he says this, I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. I believe it could be a possible reference to Jerusalem during Christ's crucifixion. If you turn over to Luke chapter 23, just back again a few chapters, in Luke chapter 23, we see kind of an example of this. In Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 44, it says, Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, He said, Father, into Your hands I commit My spirit. Having said this, He breathed His last. When you think about that, it's basically what He's saying in Joel chapter 2. So the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. Jesus Christ came and accomplished all that He said He would do. But He left us the Holy Spirit to work in and through us. And then in verse 21, he says, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And of course, we know that that comes straight out of the book of Romans, chapter 10, and verse 13. Familiar verse to all of us. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When we start thinking about this and why Jesus Christ came to this earth, He said that He was going to convict the world of sin. It's an amazing thing to consider that Jesus, despite our sinfulness, still chose to give His life for us. He didn't say, clean up your life and then I'll deal with you. Thank God. You know, Arrive to a certain level and then I'll work with you. Thank God. Because we couldn't do it. Not one of us in this room could do it. I actually met a pastor who preached that his kids weren't sinners uh, in Rochester, Indiana. And I said, I don't know about your kids, but mine are. <laughs> no offense, but guys, I just know the truth. We're all sinners. But the reality is he said, no, they don't realize that they're sinning, so they're not sin. So I said, the criteria is do you have to realize that you're sinning before you're a sinner? He goes, well, exactly. He goes, if I don't know I'm doing it wrong, he goes, I'm not guilty of anything. No, that's not how it works. Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You are born in it whether you like it or not. You're born a sinner. 
before you before you breathe your first, you're born a sinner. And the bottom line, he says, I love you enough to die for you anyway. That's amazing. We don't deserve it. I mean, none of us deserve it. But yet he came and gave his life for us. And the bottom line is Joel chapter 2 and verse 32. He says, they're all who calls on the name of the Lord. Do you realize that there's not a one of us in this room that you, if you don't call on Jesus, he won't save you? He'll save you if you're willing to repent and put your faith and trust in him. And it's simple call of childlike faith. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. So when Paul was, or when Peter was standing up and he says, Listen to me, heed these words, all of you men of Jerusalem, and every one of you that are here. He says, this is important. The Holy Spirit has come. And Jesus has died. The bottom line is you can have life if you want to put your faith and trust in Him. The men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through Him in your midst. As you yourselves also know, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Isn't that amazing? Death could not hold him down. You know, we, re- we typically reserve that message for Easter, but that's a message for every day of the year that death could not hold Jesus down. He's alive, and he's risen. So here's a question. I was talking with someone yesterday. Just a, just a thought, an observation. I brought it up several weeks ago, probably five or six weeks ago. If we're truly saved, according to God's Word, is not everything changed? Second Corinthians 5, Behold, old things are passed away, all things become new. He says, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creature, new creation. The bottom line is, we should be different. We don't live for the things of the world. We don't live for the philosophies of the world. We don't live to accumulate what the world accumulates just because we can. There's a different set of purposes, guidelines. Once we have the Holy Spirit living within us, it guides us and directs us to do God's will, not our own. But that takes a commitment and a surrender that only comes once you truly know Him. So what would be different if I truly know Jesus? Well, faith without works is what? So, between you and God, what's your work? What is your work? How is it that God's using you? You say, well, Pastor, uh, I have this circumstance and that circumstance, and the bottom line is, um, I'm not really sure what my work is, but, you know, I, I love God. Okay, but what's your work? How is it that God is using you? Is it all going to look the same? No. Are we all gifted differently? Yes. Do we all have to be doing the same thing? No. But if you truly know Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is indwelling you, you should want to work for Him in some way, some shape, some form. But if there's no desire, you have to question whether or not you're truly saved. 
And let me just say this, there are stages of life. I was telling someone yesterday at their house, I don't expect that a 70-year-old is going to go out knocking on doors. I don't even do that. I don't expect that the 70-year-olds are going to go out there and mow the yards. I don't expect that the 70-year-olds are going to go X, Y, Z and do the physical things that you can no longer do. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. Once you've prayed and given your life to Christ, have you asked Jesus, what is it that you can do in service for Him? There's things that can be done. I found that anybody can run a vacuum. Anybody can wash a window. Anybody can do many number of things if there's an interest and a desire to do it. But when there's no desire, you have to question whether or not you truly are no, are, that you truly know Jesus. Because if the Holy Spirit is within us, He empowers us, uh, us to do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. Psalm 37.23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and He what? Delights in His way. And it's the way that God has laid out for Him. On the flip side, Psalm 16, I believe it is, says, There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. If I go my own way, it's going to lead to death. Leading my own way, there will be the light. It's a choice that we make every day if we're filled with the Spirit. But the bottom line is, He came to fulfill the law, and He did that. He gave His life. He left us the Holy Spirit. And that's the only way that we can be empowered is through Him. And He says, but if in case you're not saved, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're willing to call on Him. Because He says also, except a man be born again, he cannot what? See the kingdom of God. You must be born again. Lord, I do pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Lord, this coming of the Holy Spirit changed everything. The coming of the Holy Spirit gave power and boldness. According to Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power and the Holy Ghost come upon you. 2 Timothy 2, but I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. Lord, the Holy Spirit gave us what we needed to do the work that You've called us to do. But more than anything, the Holy Spirit works within us daily to help us walk in obedience. Lord, I pray that we would apply that. Lord, the filling, and realize the necessity of the filling of the Spirit every day in our lives. Peter was so excited about the message. He said, listen to me. Pay attention to what I'm saying. Because this will change everything. And Lord, as long as we continue to operate in the flesh, it either proves that we don't know You or that we don't want to be used of You. So God, I pray that You'd forgive us, Lord, as a body of believers, as a church. Lord, that we might be faithful to do all that You've called us to do, to be all that You've called us to be that we might apply these things to our heart and our lives, Lord. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed just very simply this morning, letting the words speak for themselves. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work in and through you? This coming of the Holy Spirit changed everything. Or would you be honest and say, I have not been doing 
anything through the Holy Spirit. Been operating in the flesh. Say, Pastor, if I'm being honest with myself, things need to change. Would you pray for me, anyone like that this morning? Yes. Yes. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I've been operating in the flesh rather than the Spirit. Yes. Others, yes. Can I just challenge you who have raised your hand to simply take a moment and, first of all, confess it as sin because we're not to operate in the flesh. We're not, to, we're not to be living for the things of this world. To him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. God, forgive us. I pray, God, that you'd help us to realize how much we need you every day. Just as these men were warned and pleaded with to listen and to pay attention because the message was important, might we listen, pay attention because your message is still important. God, would you speak to our hearts? If each one would raise their hand, their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that things would change. We'd see your hand at work. God, we need you. If you're going to change this church, if you're going to change us, if you're going to change me, if you're going to change this community, we need your Holy Spirit to work, to empower us that know you, to convict the world that needs you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our midst now. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.